0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take, it's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Jula Lipman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes? Oh, yeah, it's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. See website for details.
1: It is Monday, September 12th. There are few jobs in corporate America, more high profile or frankly more difficult than the job as CEO of the Walt Disney Company. This is a hundred year old entertainment company that people care deeply about. And it's operating in businesses like film, television, streaming, theme parks, consumer products that are being transformed by the internet. Maybe the greatest manifestation of the Disney brand is a conference called D23. Named for the year 1923 that Walt founded the company. It takes place every couple of years in Anaheim, and it's like Disney's own Comic Con, where they reveal new projects, trot out stars, honor so called Disney legends, lots of name tags, and so on. You're either into that stuff and you're not. I'm kind of not, I'm more of a casual Disney fan, but I do appreciate the strength of the Disney brand and the fact that they can get these super fans to care so much about what they're doing. Presiding over it all is Bob Chapek, the CEO, who's been in the job three years now and has kind of had a rocky tenure. Chapek's the first CEO at Disney to ascend without experience on the creative side of the company. He was a parks executive, consumer products and such. And he's had a lot on his plate. Pandemic essentially shut down most of the company. Stock price shot up thanks to growth at Disney+, Plus, but it's since sunk back down. And he's aggressively raised prices at the parks, angering a lot of the super fans. He got into a salary fight with Scarlett Johansson, He got into a fight over the so-called don't-say-gay law with the governor of Florida. A lot of controversies, some of them self-inflicted. But he's turned a corner of late, at least in my opinion. The financials of Disney Plus and the parks are good. He's made peace with ScarJo. A lot of other little things. So Chapek used D23 as a kind of image reboot. He presented himself a little differently, more casually, more accessible. He did a lot of media interviews. He posed for pictures with fans. Sort of a more touchy feely, accessible version of the Disney CEO. Did it work? I've got Lucas Shaw on the show today. We're gonna discuss all things Disney, D23, and the CEO, Bob Chapek. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw. Welcome back, Lucas. Great to be here. So this past weekend, we had Disney Palooza or D23, as they call it. And it was an interesting moment for the CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek. In many ways, this is a restart button for him. And I feel like it's going okay, but it wasn't a perfect reset button, was it? Well, there's still a lot of entrenched
2: skepticism of him. He inherited the job from from Bob Iger, who even though I don't know that there were a lot of people who were especially close to to Bob Iger in the press? There was sort of near universal respect by the end of his tenure, um, and he he guided the company through this pandemic period where everybody's sort of unhappy about everything. Um, and so I just think it was sort of inevitable that there was going to be a bit of a backlash to him. And it doesn't seem like people have fully softened up. But he's in the strongest position I think he's he's been in at that company in a while. It's clear that Iger's out the door. You know, Iger's hanging around for a little bit about at the beginning. It's clear that the theme parks are back open and doing well. The movie business is, if not fully back, is coming back. And his streaming service has outperformed pretty much everyone else so far this year.
1: Right, so we saw him do a series of interviews with a bunch of press outlets. Um, Your outlet, Bloomberg, talked to him, and he did the trades, and he did a New York Times piece. And this is a guy who has not done a lot of media interviews up until now. And he got up there in front of what is essentially the hometown crowd. It's almost like being on stage at a championship parade. You're not going to get any hecklers there, really. Uh, But this is not a guy who is universally beloved.
2: Or a guy who's that comfortable in that setting, right? I think he's pretty, he's pretty honest about the fact that he's not a natural spokesperson, salesman. He doesn't ooze with charisma like Iger did at least towards the end and like some of these, the, some of these media CEOs tend to. But it was a very conscious effort on the part of Disney+. PR sort of hit the reset button right
1: totally I mean he has a new PR person the, the other guy got fired after the whole Florida don't say gay debacle and you know the they, this New York Times story on his uh, the headline is "At corporate pep rally Disney CEO pitches warmer fuzzier side and it's almost a kind of comical repositioning of him is like an everyman. He's got a beard just like you and he likes corn dogs and he's trying to learn how to dance on stage. Uh, but it wasn't perfect. I'm quoting from The Times article. It says, As confetti fell from the rafters, Mr. ChaPeg strode onto the stage waving like a party boss at a political convention. The crowd turned noticeably chilly with attendees offering polite applause and a few boos. Not great.
2: Yeah. I mean, Brooks, Brooks Barnes, who wrote that piece for The Times, uh, is, a, is a very gifted writer and is very able to, like, if you're Disney and you read that story, you're probably mostly happy with the fact that it gets across the message that you want. But he is able to, you know, stick in a couple of shivs or prods in, in, uh, in a very subtle way.
1: Right. And The Times is probably annoyed that JPEG did all these other interviews. They probably wanted this all for themselves. But that's a, that's a media question.
2: I think he did at least seven interviews this weekend, by my right. count, right? Um, which is which is a lot, especially for someone who hadn't done many before. But he he slayed a lot of things, right? He also like the the whole will there won't they spin off ESPN, which I don't think was ever that likely. But Dan Loeb, who was the activist investor who'd been agitating for that, tweeted Sunday about how he he you know was now mostly aligned with Disney management and didn't think that was a good idea. You know, he, he has bought himself a period of time to try to execute against a strategy, which is really anything all a corporate CEO could want is to kind of try to sh- put the noise to the side and be able to do their jobs.
1: Well, but Disney is so unique. I mean, that's what is fascinating about this is this is a company that people have an emotional connection to. I mean, you don't see a convention like this for the CEO of Intel or the CEO of Walmart. It's just people, whether it's nostalgia, or you know love of the characters, or the fact that Disney has such a place in all of our lives, people care. And the guy that previously ran Disney knew that and absolutely oozed it all the time. This guy, Chapek, is not that guy, so he's got to try to win people over with the business stuff. And frankly, a lot of these decisions he's made, specifically at the parks, have been unpopular. I mean, he got rid of a lot of the annual pass benefits that people who are Disney super fans really love. He also had another unforced error or on an earnings call last quarter. Disney said that the profits at the parks would have been higher if not for a quote, unfavorable attendance mix at Disneyland, unquote. And that basically suggested to people that he didn't like the fact that people were using their annual pass, their genie system to go to the park multiple times when they could have gotten more money out of other families coming from elsewhere that went to the parks instead. And that caused a lot of the fans to, you know, they were wearing unfavorable t-shirts in the Disney calligraphy. They were they're They're targeting Chapek for that. And Chapek in these interviews got right into that. Now he's characterizing it as a way to better serve the customer, because the people from Denver who are driving in for their visit at the parks should have access to Disneyland and weren't getting it because the guy who lives in Garden Grove and goes to Disneyland 35 times a year is taking that spot. But it's really a revenue thing. JPEG knows that those families from out of town are spending more money there. What's sort of interesting about that
2: disconnect, though, is don't you think that Chapek is more in line with at least kind of given his background, the average Disney customer than Bob Iger was?
1: Yes, but that's a image problem. I mean, Chapek is a Midwestern guy, grew up very middle class, you know, talked about and he's trying to present this in these interviews, talked about how the big you know, formative moment in his life was when the family would go to Disney World for their annual vacation. Bob Iger is not that guy. He was a Hollywood guy. He was a weatherman who came up through the kind of, Privileged uh programming ranks at ABC and then took over the company, lived in a you know, very nice house in Brentwood. pick is a guy who lived in the suburbs. Like this is he should be more in line with the Everyman Disney fan, but both in demeanor and in the decisions he's making, Iger knew for years. That they could extract more money out of the parks, but he didn't do it because he thought that that would be antithetical to the Disney brand. And what we've seen over the last couple of years with Chapek is that he is going all in on maximizing revenue, even if it means nickel and diming people and squeezing every last dollar out of those parks people.
2: Man, you 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 really want to be able to use your annual pass.
1: <laughs> I don't even have one. But I, I don't know. this That part of it does make me angry because I do believe that the Disney brand is, a at its core, a middle-class family brand. And you go to these parks. I have a kid. You go and you see the people who are there. And it is a middle-class to, you know, not even all middle-class. People spend a big chunk of their annual income going to these parks. So I do feel bad for those people who are either priced out or are not able to go on the rides they want to go on because of this, uh, this new dynamic pricing system.
2: But have you, cause I feel like you were, you were, uh, very much in the like Bob Chapek's job is in jeopardy brigade earlier this year. Do you, do you feel like he's now on founder footing? And if you, if you had to, if you were given like even odds, are you betting
1: on him to keep that job for the, for the, you know, to, to live out his contract? I do agree that he's on better footing right now. I think that the developments over the last six to eight months where the entire industry has shifted to where the value is not just on these Netflix style valuations and you know trajectories and streaming, the, the value proposition of a fully diversified company is much higher right now, I think. and JPE represents that. So I think the the they've got to fix the stock price and get the stock price up. Because ultimately, that is all that matters at these companies. But I think he's in a better spot than he was. But he's not out of the woods. I mean, there's still a lot. Of, the fact that the CEO of Disney would gender would would engender some booze at D23. Not great. But he is in a better place now. And I think that the, some of the stuff that they have done, um, where they you know where they are clearly prioritizing growing Disney Plus, like that's been smart. It really has.
2: Yeah, I'll be really curious to see how they kind of bring together Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus. You can buy it as a bundle right now, which I do. But he, he he insinuated in some of the interviews that he did that they would be making it so that you could watch any they would be sort of interchangeable, much as Paramount now makes it so you can watch Showtime within Paramount Plus. I think it's just a matter of time before you can watch Hulu and ESPN plus within Disney plus, and they'll just use Disney plus as the mega app. And those other things may continue to exist at least for a little bit. Um, but that, but they have one real central home.
1: Yeah. In the variety interview, this is the quote. He said the right now, if you want to go from Hulu to ESPN plus to Disney plus, you have to go out of one app to another app in the future, we may have less friction. Uh, and then he grinned. So it sounds like something is up there where they're all going to be combined into the super app, or they're going to be tiles where you have to do an upsell for Hulu or something like that, which people have been talking about for literally years now that they should do that because in most of the world, that is what Disney plus is. It is a, he calls it Disney with a big D, which means that you can incorporate a bunch of, a bunch of other brands into the Disney brand.
2: But also if you think about the pricing thing you know th- we had both Netflix and Disney you know kind of tease out what their plans are for ad-supported service. I mean, Disney has formally announced it. Netflix has just come out in reports from me and other people, but we know d- generally that Disney's approach was we're just going to raise prices for everything. So if you want to keep Disney Plus without ads, you have to pay more. Your current price gets you Disney Plus with ads. Netflix did the opposite, where they said they kept they had one price and they said if you want Netflix without ads, it's th- or with ads, that's going to be the discount. Um, Now, they were coming from a higher price point, of course.
1: Yeah, that's a risk. I mean, literally, and that that all comes from the fact that Bob Iger priced Disney Plus artificially low or below what they could have paid. Because at the time, all they were doing was chasing Netflix and the subscriber numbers. And he knew that if he made Disney Plus seven bucks, that people would sign up in droves. And he was right. Uh, But now it's created a, a revenue problem. And when the market's valuing revenue... They've got to raise the price. I think a lot of people, a lot of families will do the upcharge. Uh, I know I will. And then if you're price conscious, you just take the ads. And a lot of people are going to take the ads.
2: Yeah. And they'll they'll make more money than they were because they'll have ads on top of
1: the revenue. I actually think the way they handled it was quite smart. I agree. So let's talk a l- little about ESPN because you mentioned the Dan Loeb question. There was this movement, and, and I don't think Disney ever took it that seriously, but there was this movement to spin off ESPN. The thinking is, is that it, you know they've gotten so much value out of the cable bundle. The cable bundle is disappearing at the same time as sports rights are skyrocketing, that at some point, ESPN is not going to be a great business for Disney. So why not cut the cord, so to speak, now, get rid of it, spin it off before it becomes this albatross that hangs over them. And ultimately, Disney is not a sports company other than ESPN. Something happened. What do we think happened with Dan Loeb? He says he now has a, quote, better understanding of the company's, quote, growth and innovation plan for ESPN. What do we think convinced him? I don't know. I'd love to to do
2: the reporting and find out. But if you read between the lines, it's clear that there have been regular conversations between mm-hmm. Disney, JPEG, and the board, Dan Loeb, and they they walked him through what their thinking was in terms of how sports fits into the Disney picture and, and why it's important. And I, I tend to agree with them. If you look at a, a major advantage for certain streaming services that have sports, you know, Paramount Plus, when there's a new football season, they get a a, a big surge in subscribers. Peacock, one of the only things it has going for it right now is things like the Olympics and football and and WWE and other sports. I, I think Amazon's about to benefit from having Thursday Night Football. Yes, it's expensive, but sports is one of, if not the most popular forms of entertainment and video entertainment. And there is a way for Disney to transition that into a streaming environment. It just has to figure it out.
1: Yeah, and he teased that there is some long-term strategy that they are putting together that will bring the ESPN piece of it into better focus. And he's right. He said in one of the interviews that, you know, almost all the top 100 most viewed shows of the past year on broadcast TV have been live sports. Yeah, the, the challenge with sports
2: in streaming has always been, okay the the beauty of the tv model for sports networks is that everybody has to pay for it and so you can get away with charging you know espn's like 7 8 bucks a month whatever it is at this point which is the highest of any of the networks but still relatively low because 80 million people, 85 million people are paying for it. But if you have to start selling only to sports fans, then all of a sudden you're having to charge 20, 30 bucks a month and it becomes prohibitive and you're not going to get all of them. But if there's a way to find some middle ground where it's basically sports is just included in a larger Disney bundle right. and they can, they can pay for those rights that way, there, there's a way for it to work. We just don't know what it is yet.
1: And on the movie front, I mean, these kinds of, fan conventions are all about announcing new projects i mean there was the a first look at the new little mermaid uh which looked pretty good they announced inside out 2 from pixar and a new pixar series they gave a, a big teaser for the haunted mansion movie and indiana jones harrison ford came out uh and it teased indiana jones people talk about how under chapek there may be Problems in the creative engine at Disney. They've had some issues this summer where people didn't like some of the Marvel movies as much as the past one. Pixar had a flop in Lightyear. And I've heard from people that, you know, oh, maybe under Chapek, the creative engines will not be as strong. I don't buy that at all. I think Disney is Disney and they're going to do what they do. Uh, do you agree with me, or do you think that there is cause for concern uh, in on the creative side under a CEO like Jepack, who does not come from a creative background? I mean, anything that came out this year was it was
2: more than likely originally conceived before Jepack took over. So I don't mm-hmm. think you can put that at his feet. I mean, look, there was a there was a period in time where, it, at the very be, I think every great media company has been led by someone who is just more of a corporate figure and it's it's more if he has the right people or she has the right person in place leading the creative teams then they'll do their job. You don't the CEO's job is not to be the creative visionary. Bob Iger much as he got credit for, you know, having certain sensibilities and and certainly understanding the creative side of the business, it's not him who's in there breaking the story or, you know, Pixar's success people tended to give John Lasseter most of the credit for that. Marvel's success, people have given Kevin Feige a lot of the credit for that. You know, Kevin Feige's still around. So I'm not, I'm, That's I'm not sure it too much. Yeah,
1: I, I, I agree with you on that. You know, the, the, when you hear it, it's usually from the positioning in the market. I mean, JPEG had some early missteps with the creative community where he did this big reorg where they they took away the destiny determination for shows and movies. They took it away from the creative executives and put it into this distribution arm, which was seen as weakening the creators. Then he got into that whole fight with Scarlett Johansson, which he addressed in one of the interviews. I think he talked to THR about that and said, yeah, you know, he's never had a better relationship with CAA now, and they're at a great place, and I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) But they did resolve that feud, publicly at least. Um, I did some reporting this past week about some of the salaries and fees that they're paying for voice talent at different Disney projects, and they are absolutely going cheaper on a lot of the voice talent fees that they're offering, and consequently, they lost some key voices for Inside Out, too. That's where I think they really risk some of the creative atrophy is if they change the philosophy of investment in content. I and mean, we haven't really seen it to a certain to, to a huge degree, but that's a risk there. And, and I could see a guy like Chapek, who is such a dollars and cents manager and a PL guy. Looking at some of these divisions and saying, you know what, do we need does Pixar need to spend this much money on this? That's where you will lead to creative problems. Look, if he
2: cheaps out cheap out, that's a problem. But just put a couple of other things in perspective. So HBO, which I think we all agree has been the gold standard or near the top of the game in terms of quality TV programming over the last 20 years, say, has has now gone through two different owners in the last handful of years and had no drop-off in quality. People were totally freaked out about what would happen when AT&T took over. Guess what? HBO still made the best shows on television. You go back a little bit further, look at, say, uh, at, at Viacom. It was owned by Sumner Redstone. He's a movie theater mogul. He doesn't know anything about creating good shows. But MTV was completely creative, creatively reborn under his ownership. I just think we we freak out too much about when someone else, someone new comes in to own it. They're not the ones who are, do- yes, they're setting the tone for the company, but if you have the right people in charge of the different creative departments, if you have Casey Bloys at HBO and all the very talented people who work for him, if you have all the creative people who were at MTV back in the day, you're gonna be fine. Now I, I hear you on the on the finances, and if Disney gets reputation for being kind of cheap, sure. But well, I they already have
1: that. They have they have earned that. <laughs> I was gonna say
2: Disney's always had a reputation for being cheap, and they've gotten away with it. So I don't think that this is some new concept under Bob Chapek.
1: Yeah, it's gotten from the people I talk to. It's gotten worse, and I think a big test will be the Black Panther sequel because this is that's not just a creative execution; it's also a marketing execution, because that is a movie that was completely reconceived after Chadwick Boseman died. And he died in 2020 after Chapek took over. So the start execution, and it was you know plagued by COVID problems. If they can get that movie to probably won't do what the first one did, but if they can get that movie to over a billion dollars, I think that is a sign that the Disney machine is alive and well. All right. So give me your assessment of JPEG. You asked me what I thought. I want to know, you think, is he, if you had to grade him right now on the the ground, the the perception and the reality, give me your your, uh, A through F on the perception of him and then the reality. I always thought that the
2: rumors about his job being in real jeopardy were a little overblown. I wasn't going to pretend like he was he he didn't he, he hadn't created a bunch of problems the florida thing was a total unforced error but i always thought it was going to come down to how the business performed and the business has performed very well and the perception thing is also like who are we talking about i think in hollywood the perception of him is still quite low like he probably get they probably give him a c or
1: a d it didn't help that he fired the very well liked head of tv peter rice um and and then did it in a way that was very ham-fisted. It was literally, no one in Hollywood ever gets fired. It's always, oh, I'm leaving to become a producer. or I'm moving to this. This was an outright firing. Like, thanks for your service. <laughs> but
2: I think from a perception standpoint, especially when you factor in Wall Street, he's like now more in the 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 low B area where people still want to see more from him, but they're, they're sort of warming up. They like see some possibility. I think the reality is the execution of the company has all of his problems have mostly been pr problems they have not been execution problems so i'm i'm really reluctant to punish someone too hardly for that too harshly for that i do think that you've made this point but being the ceo of disney is a very unique job and so managing pr effectively is important which is why it would be impossible really to give him like an a grade of his performance so far but i think that on the execution side they're doing a pretty good job and you're right to to ask about about the upcoming black panther movie and certainly the fact that, the, that Disney Plus isn't growing in the U.S.
1: anymore. Disney Plus has not had a single series hit that is not Marvel or Lucasfilm.
2: Well, and the Lucasfilm one that they're about to drop, right? Andor is about to come out, or it, mm-hmm. it may have already come out. It's horrible that I don't know that. Is going to be completely overwhelmed by Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings.
1: I think it'll do okay, but you're right. It's not. The Star Wars is diminishing returns. They're not, they're not special anymore. Um, uh, but they need they need hits. They need other hits that are not from Star Wars or Marvel.
2: um and they they know that, but I think Hulu's doing great. And if they can find a way to merge that all into one compelling package, the the array of Disney assets is still above all of its competitors,
1: yes. And we saw that on on display this past weekend. I think my my grades are a C for perception and a b plus for reality. Wait, Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah you were talking about the kind of the creative influence a CEO has
2: like a JPEG has, or supposed to have at the company as like a chief executive officer at a large media company, like a Disney, how much are they expected to make final like creative decisions or just kind of defer and leave that up to, the creative officer that was hired to
0: actually make those decisions. You know, I think about it like an NFL coach. Like there are some NFL coaches who are not defensive or offensive coordinators. They, they defer to their specialists. And then there's like Kyle Shanahan's
1: who do everything. Is one preferred over the other or expected? Uh, I'll take that one. The, I think for average everyday decisions, it's left to the creative leaders. When you start to talk about the path that is being charted long-term, specifically in movies, whether they're going to do two Marvel movies a year or three or maybe four, whether they're going to have, uh, you know, a Disney Plus first strategy for Star Wars and then try to wait a little bit and get the movies right before they greenlight another movie. That's a situation where I think the CEO becomes involved. It also depends a lot on the CEO. So uh, someone like a David Zaslav
2: is... is- notorious for being a bit more of a micromanager and really getting in the weeds on certain decisions. Yeah, heads wise guys, right? Like the wise guys thing. Yeah. Yes. Someone, Les Moonves, who used to run CBS, used to get involved in the casting on specific shows. We'll, you know, leave you to speculate as to whether there were alternate reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone like a Reed Hastings at Netflix is way more hands-off. And so I, I think every CEO is, is, is different in that regard.
1: Iger used to read scripts.
2: I know that. Um, I, am, I need to run for lunch.
1: <laughs> Leave that in. Uh, all right, Lucas, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, what we didn't talk about with Lucas was what we thought of some of the reveals at d twenty three. I am prepared to make a bold and actually not that bold prediction based on what I saw. The little mermaid reboot, the live action little mermaid with Haley with Halle. Oh, I always want to say Halle Berry. It's Halle Bailey. uh, It's Halle Bailey um, as Ariel. That looked great to me. I wondered how they were going to do the underwater footage. If it would look kind of like Aquaman where everything's kind of wavy or if they would just kind of pretend that it's, not underwater, even though she is, but they have this mix where like her hair is floating, but it doesn't look like she's underwater. It's kind of, it is well done.
0: And, and they do a good job with the
1: lighting to make, they have the kind of, it looks like light refracting off the water on her face. And that kind of
2: adds texture rather than doing it, uh, with like some fake water effect.
1: Totally. And her voice sounds great. Of course, there's the racist trolls that have come out and uh, are objecting to a black little mermaid. Um, well that makes sense because every mermaid I've met has been white. So Yes, mermaids are by definition white. It's so insane. Yeah. Uh but uh I think this movie's going to be a huge hit. I think that the that this is going to be akin to the, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, that era of Disney animation where the late 80s early 90s, all of those people who grew up with those movies are now older, have kids or have grandkids and they are going to show up. This movie's going to be Uh, It's coming out Memorial Day next year. It is going to be the Top Gun of next summer. And The Little Mermaid has a bunch of new songs from Lin Manuel Miranda, so I'm sure that will help as well. All right, that is the show. Uh, I want to thank Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you. We're coming back tomorrow with a look at the Emmys. I will be at the Emmys tonight, and I'll come back tomorrow with my thoughts on the winners, what happened at the parties, all of it.
0: All right, we'll see you tomorrow.